total truth. No, 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 no. See the way society is built today, like a trap. It's built in a way that keeps you in the dark. Cause if your light shines through, you might figure out who and what you are. A magnificent being. Don't be scared of that. Do not be scared. That's why I'm here to help you remember. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, depending where you're on this beautiful planet, this amazing universe. Mark Sanchez here, along with the beautiful, talented, amazing Isela Garcia. Oh, I think I forgot the DR in front of that. That's okay. We're not about that egotistical stuff, right? <laughs> so what episode is this on? We're on number five now? Maybe, yeah. Holy smokers. I just like to say thank you, everybody that tunes into this and hears this and listens to this and has been sharing it. I've been getting some really amazing feedback. I don't know about you, Isela, but people reach out to me regularly, like um, through Instagram, where I share this the most. And on Facebook, people message me back saying, wow, they're happy and they're excited that they get to hear um, two amazing beings that come from a brown Hispanic background household that bring up these talk, bring up these topics. Um, because they had nobody to really turn to, right? They've had nobody to talk to about this and they've been feeling some type of way. And now they realize that there's more other beings like them out there and they're not alone, right? And so with that being said, the topic I'd like to touch on today is, and we just thought about this right now, guys. Like I had a whole two, three <laughs> weeks to think about this. And then Isella was like, you were supposed to think of this. I said, oh shit, I did. I got it right here. So the topic is going to be um, how, why, we wanted to um, embark on this spiritual journey, right? And then how we built um, the support system. Because if you go through the, the past episodes, right, we talk about our family not being really supportive and them being stuck in old ways, right, through, to, through traditional ways and whatnot, and how we broke away from that and how and where we found the people to uh, one, um, we had to go seek them out or we raised our vibration high enough that we attracted them to us, right? So throughout this path and throughout this journey, there's a lot of different routes and routes and destinations and ups and downs, valleys and rivers that you could take, right? A lot of different vehicles. And I'm pretty sure it's been different for me and it's been different for Isela since we, we have similar backgrounds, but yet different backgrounds. So with that being said, Isela, what it was your why? Why did you decide to embark on this um, spiritual journey outside of the religious sector? So the spiritual journey for me actually started as self-help. And I think that's where a lot of people start. It's the feeling of wanting to feel better. And for those of us who come from traumatic backgrounds, some of us don't want to repeat this story that happened in our lives. And so for me, it was about my relationship with my husband. I wanted um, to get better at having relationships because, you know, I never saw an actual relationship that was healthy. You know, I'd never been witness to like conflict being resolved in a way that was healthy and didn't hold on to grudges and that there wasn't some sort of spite that continued throughout the course of the relationship. Like that's all I saw as a child. And so I wanted to... I wanted to feel better and I wanted to figure out how to be in relationship with my husband without losing it, without losing my shit. Uh, because, you know, I grew up, like I said, in a, with a traumatic background. And so I was like addicted to the violence and sort of addicted to sabotaging my relationships because I didn't know how to create 
again, a healthy experience that was comfortable for me. So that's where it started. It was all about, you know, trying to undo what was done to me. <laughs> Addicted to violence. That, that sounds a little like over the top sometimes of people, huh? Like, because you believe that you could be addicted to like pain pills. You could be addicted to pornography. You could be addicted to working out too much. But when somebody says that you become addicted to violence, like how does that, how is that even possible? How can, could somebody conceive of that notion or idea for somebody that doesn't realize right now that they're addicted to violence, right? That they're addicted to that kind of stuff. What are some of those signs? You know, one of the simple ways that I started to recognize is that I was getting sort of a lack of a better way to describe it, sort of like a high from um, violent movies. And um, so I actually, it was weird. I just really liked watching violent movies. And then we used to play, that's right around the time, actually is after, but um, where more video games became much more, um, you know, it was less Pac-Man and more like Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> and my like, husband, oh, shit, this game was like our life. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so my <laughs> husband and I used to play those games together. And so I really and what and so those were sort of how it played out in my life. But in terms of my relationships, once I got to a place where it was comfortable, I would sabotage it. And or I would create drama within the relationship because that's what I knew. That's what was familiar. And even though I intellectually knew that it was wrong and I didn't like the way it felt, I didn't know how to pull myself out of that because that's what was most familiar. So it gave you a feeling that you wanted to feel again, in a sense. Right. So would you say like the violence created an emotional reaction that released some kind of hormones into your body? And it was like, oh, I would like some more of this. Right. And that's really interesting that you brought up movies and video games. For me, I didn't realize that I was addicted to um, violent music. Right. Oh, yeah. You don't think that yeah. music like I growing up, my mom and dad let us listen to whatever we wanted. Right. We could listen to anything, right? We're listening to like fuck the police and I'd rather fuck you and bitches ain't shit but hoes and tricks. <laughs> and like my parents did, like let us listen to this and it really didn't seem to affect us right because we were still getting good grades we were we, i knew when to say certain things when not to say certain things right but as i was going on later on in life i didn't realize how much i was living by the rules of that music unconsciously right like you can't turn a home to a housewife right and we treated and i treated these women and 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 the street life as glorifying because it was in the music Right. It was like, oh, it's not affecting me yet. Here I am dealing drugs. Right. And it, it, you're right. It's like that high. It's like I would listen to this music and it'd be like the Rough Riders anthem. Right. Like freaking DMX and get us all rowdy and crazy. And we would all turn that music on and want to just go hit the streets and like start fights and shit. I wasn't really a fighter, more of a lover, but you get the <laughs> idea. Right. So these video games and these movies kind of did the same thing, I guess, in a sense. Yeah. Right? I actually listened to created... that music too. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I was all about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and so I, I could see how it, it, it pulled us in without us even knowing, right? So then let's just say when, when we started to know this, when you started to recognize this and you started to realize what was happening and how it was emotionally triggering you and how you were reacting to get that, that violence that you were so addicted to, what was the step that you took that kind of, kind of 
like had made you get an aha moment or what made you want to look at what was happening to you? You know, I had um, bouts of depression and that I didn't like the way that felt. And so that probably really was, I saw myself again, repeating the cycles that I had been witness to as a child. And so I saw myself becoming my mother and that scared the shit out of me because I said that I wasn't going to do that. But if you understand how neuroscience works, it's like what you that you are exposed to creates these synaptic connections in the brain. Now your temperament plays into this. And so, and that's like 50% of who you are is your DNA. Um, and so that's, that part kind of made me different than my mom, but I really saw myself repeating some of those patterns, particularly in my relationship. And um, so I really started to work on self-awareness, like just noticing things that were happening within my body when I was like starting to spiral out, when I was starting to um, get because I was, I was rageful. I mean, there was lack of a better way to describe this. It was like, a, I would be triggered and I would just fall out and full on rage and, um, you know, cussing and yelling and throwing shit. And, you know, that was kind of like my MO whenever I got frustrated about something or when things weren't working my way. And so I really worked, I started to realize how damaging that was and that I was going to, you know, lose my relationship if I didn't get my shit together. And so that really was a triggering point for me to start to, um, to just notice the moments before I start to get to that place. And, and I started making some decisions and choices around changing some things in my life, um, you know, that I felt like were unhealthy for me. <laughs> When you, when you when you say you get triggered going to rage, I <laughs> I had two people that I could really like envision in my head when that shit happens, right? <laughs> one was my mom, and the other one was my, was my dad's wife, right? <laughs> like, craziness, right? Just like at the drop of a dime, just like I think my dad's wife was probably a little more crazy and psycho. Um, she might have changed a little bit now, but living in a household was toxic, right? Yeah. And on the on the reverse on the flip side for me right it helped me when somebody flips out i would shut down right right because i seen it in the household a lot um if i see my mom freak out on her boyfriend for whatever reason or my dad's wife freak out on him right for whatever reason i would just like get paralyzed right it's like walking the eggshells and try not to like poke the dragon or or, or poke the sleeping bear right and it had negative effects on me later on in life. I didn't realize that I was um, addicted to non-confrontational situations, mm. right? So like when somebody would get out of rage at work um, before I stepped into my own power, into my own authenticity, right? Um, I, I fell into depression because I didn't know how to speak up for myself because I was addicted to that just being quiet. And I created these awarenesses and I attracted these bosses that were just like shitty, mm -hmm. right? And they yeah. would blow up and do all this kind of stuff. And I would just kind of make myself small. And for whatever reason, I can continuously put myself in those situations, right? So just like how one person could be addicted to that, like rage and flip out, somebody else could probably be addicted to that shut down and make yourself small syndrome, right? In the same way. 
and um, create those types of environments. Because for whatever reason, sometimes I would, I would attract the craziest friends, right? People are like, why do you hang out with that person? Like, they don't treat you well. But I think whatever it was, I like that they made me feel that way, even though I didn't like feeling it, right? It was just something that they, re- they, they, they gave me in a sense, right? So I want to stop you right there because there are a couple of things you said that I think a lot of people might be able to relate to. So what you did, it, there's a stress response. And a lot of us have heard this. It's called flight, um, flight, no, fight, flight, freeze. There's two more, appease, and then collapse. And so what you used to do was go into the freeze mode. And in the freeze mode, what happens when you're in this brain state is you release chemicals like adrenaline and cortisol to protect yourself. And the reason why you attracted, it's the same with me and relationships. It's like I attracted women in my life who wanted to control me. Well, hello, I had a mother who tried to control me, right? And so the people that you were drawn to or who you were attracted to, I think from a a vibrational place show up for you because that's what you're putting out there. But from a divine place, it's because that's the lesson you're supposed to learn, right? The lesson you're supposed to learn is how to move out of that brain state of freezing to step into who you are. And what that means is having the courage to speak up for yourself and say what it is that is true for you, what it is that you want. It's like finally finding your voice that was shut down for so long. And so there's a divine purpose for it. The problem is, is we go, oh, let me get rid of this person. Let me get rid of this person. Well, shit, somebody else shows up and does the same thing for you, right? And so (laughs) the work is inside us. And once we start to shift, we start to see different people show up in our lives. Yeah, that is, um, that is really interesting to to really look at it and think about it that way. Because then the next thing would be like, okay, well... (laughs) I tried to take my power back, right? And how I did it wasn't probably the smartest, healthiest way because what I thought I would, what was, what was necessary when I, when people hear stand up for yourself, when people hear um, get a backbone, when people hear have be courageous and be fearless, they think that you got to get back up and start yelling back, listen here, and start attacking, right? Fire with fire, right? So <laughs> there was instances where I, 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 re- I retaliated in that way, right? Because that's kind of what you do in the streets, right? Right. Um, but in a professional arena, right, where you feel a little bit less like like for me, being on the streets was one thing that was a totally different realm. But then when I got into like work and business where I thought, OK, this is a little more professional, which really isn't. It's just a construct we put on there. Right. right. Um, and then I got really small. But then when I decided to try to stand up for myself, I tried to come at it from an area where I was out in the streets. Right. And all it did was get me in more trouble. Right. All it did was create a bigger fire, bigger flames. Right. So I had to figure out how to come at it from a loving spot. Right. From a more um, loving part of my personality versus the frightened part of my personality. And I think a lot of people don't realize that you could stand up in true power without belittling people. Right. Without trying to tear them down. Right. And it's finding how. how was there any type of tools or any type of books or documentaries or anything that helped you with these types of um, practices? Yeah. You know, yeah. So the very first book that I remember, well, actually two books. The first one was, um, which is really ironic, because um, I started therapy like at ASAP when I left home and I left home with a shirt on my back. 
And um, uh, the first book was Children of Alcoholics. And ironically, my mom was not an alcoholic. <laughs> but my therapist said that I, I really had a lot of the symptoms that come from families who have substance abuse um, within the unit. And so that was the first book that really got me sort of uh, thinking about the implications of living in a violent um, experience of life. The second book, and I don't even know how it came to me. Um, the second book, actually, there's another one too, but the second book was uh, You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. And that was the first time I had ever Ooh. read number one, You Chose Your Parents. And I was like, fuck you. <laughs> I did not choose my mother. Why would I do that? <laughs> <laughs> and like from a spiritual place, like you chose your parents that you can come and learn these lessons. And one of the things she talks about is this idea of dis-ease. So D-I-S with a dash, ease, and that our emotional state of being can create, like our belief systems can create this disease. And for me, it was, you know, depression. And so I started to really use affirmations. And I, you got to remember, I was like 19 or 20 at the time. So this was a long time ago. And then the third book that came um, that really was influential was uh, Marianne Williamson. She wrote a book called Return to Love, which was based on A Course in Miracles. I tried to read A Course in Miracles. I don't even know how. I think a friend of a friend had the book and I tried to read. It. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck this is saying. <laughs> I'm not ready for this. And so A Course in um, Love was sort of like the Cliff Notes version, like the dummy version of A Course in Miracles. And so I read that one. And then after that, it just sort of rolled into book after book after book. And I started to, you know, magically people who were at least interested in the same kind of conversations started to show up in my life. Wow, that is that, that that's that's amazing, you know, and I, let, let's go back to that. Um, you chose your parents, right? That's a crazy concept to wrap your yeah. head around. It's like, wait a minute. I chose, like, I knew, like, I was a sperm and I knew I was going to win this mother-loving race, right? Like, I knew I was going <laughs> to end up into this world already a champion. I built, beat out millions of other sperms. That's that's what interests me right now when I think about this, because that's just a funny analogy to look at. You're swimming with a bunch of these little, like, tadpole-like things, right? Really microscopic size, right? And you come into this world and you come into this world a champion already. You beat out everybody else already, right? But somewhere down life, you forget that you won that race, right? You're going through life like you fucking lost. Like you should have just didn't swim, swim that all, right? right? So going back to this idea of like choosing your parents, I remember my mom saying to me one time, Mijo, I know that you don't belong to me, right? I know I was just gifted you to make sure you made it out into the world in a sense, probably wasn't those exact words, but growing up, I, 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 this, it didn't click into my brain until recent, right? Like, holy shit. She understood that I wasn't hers, her. She was just here to love me, nurture me and grow me. And I went out into the world. She was just made sure I made it into the world. Right. And that I didn't really grasp that concept until recent, mm -hmm. um, on the spiritual side, right? Like this is all like we, it's, this was a plan to get here. Right. Like somewhere in the cosmos, me and you created a divine plan, a blueprint. Right. And then we had to go through whatever it was for us to get here to actually be having this conversation today. Right. And, and that's really interesting to think that we choose that. Now, let's go back to that shirt on your back. I heard you say this a few times. What shirt was it that you left your house with? 
I'm just curious. Did you say all <laughs> you let the houses with the shirt on your back? So I had um, a scholarship to ASU, Arizona State University, and I was part of what was called the Upper Bound Program, which was a program for kids who hadn't uh, had didn't have any other family members who had graduated from high school. So we were all sort of considered at risk for failure. And um, so it was a, something you committed to in high school. You had to go through to every weekend uh, throughout the school year. And then you dedicated several weeks through the summer. And if you were able to work through all of those college courses and commit to the program, they would give you a scholarship. And if you maintained your grades, you continued your scholarship throughout. So um, I had hit a breaking point in my life. And I mean, like really where I thought I was going to lose my mind. But see, I raised my sister and I had a sister in the home. She was seven years younger than me and I was pretty much mom to her. And so leaving her was a really hard thing for me to do, but I didn't, I felt like I had no other choice. I also had a black boyfriend who was now my husband, who I had been hiding for many years. And so I was living like this life that, you know, I couldn't live because I was hiding him and I needed for my own sanity to leave home. Back in the day, there was a scholar, not scholarship, there was a financial aid where you would go and pick up your check. Now they probably do some sort of direct deposit, but at the time you had to stand in line. So I made the decision to leave home. I went uh, to the upper bound office. They knew the abuse that I was enduring in the home. It was two weeks before ASU started. So it was a, um, and back, back in the day, it's probably true now, you have to submit for a dorm like weeks before months before um, school in order to get an actual place. And so I went to the office, upper bound office in tears. Like I was at a breaking point. I had to leave my house. My mom's plan was for me to stay home and to make money, get a job, go to ASU and pay her rent. That was her idea. And um, she even got me a car so I could commute from the West Valley in Phoenix uh, to Arizona State University, which is in Tempe. And so uh, I went to the office and I said, I really need to leave home. Things are really horrible. I mean, I was even suicidal at times. It was pretty awful. And um, so in the office, the, the, the uh, director went to the housing department and asked if there by chance was a cancellation. And there was one. So she slid me into by chance. that by chance. There was one. So she slid me in. The problem was you had to have a hundred dollar deposit. When you're when you're 18 years old, a hundred dollars is like a million dollars. So I I went from elated to like almost falling on the floor crying. And she's like, Don't worry about it, we'll figure this out. And she went around the office and collectively they put together a hundred dollars for me. So $100 in for me to leave, I had to go home. Now you got to remember, I came from an abusive situation where I had fear and I, I disassociated, which means that I lifted from my physical experience and I watched myself move through life because I was so, I lived through so much trauma. That was the only way I could survive. So I disassociated. So I had to go home and in this fear-based experience and say to my mom, I'm leaving home and then look at my sister and, and make the decision to leave her because I was the buffer between my mom and my sister. And, um, and so, uh, you know, she looked at me and she said nothing. She just looked at me. She's like, what do you want me to say? And I was like, I don't know, maybe you're my daughter and I, I love you. 
and I'm going to support you. And she's like, well, I can't do that. And she walked away. Well, I had to pick up my financial aid check that next day. It was like a Friday when I told her that Saturday and I needed a ride. <laughs> and so I had to like get, you know, get that courage up again. And I went and knocked on her bedroom door <laughs> and I was like, I need a ride to go get my financial aid check tomorrow at ASU. I, you know, it tomorrow is the day or else I have to wait and da, 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 da. I was getting like $800, which to me was like a million dollars. And um, so she didn't say anything to me. And the next morning, she's like, well, are you ready? And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'm going. So I went and, you know, got changed real quick. She drove me to ASU. She slowed the car down. I said, it's right here. She goes, well, get out. And I jumped out while the car was rolling. And then I didn't see her again. For a long time, I didn't see her again. Wow. Yeah. So my dad was the one who kind of stepped up. um, And, you know, I had a dorm because they slid me into that one, that one slot that was available. And I used to sneak back to my house and my sister would box up some of my things. And that's how I got some of my things from my house. Yeah. So So I literally, you had what you had on your back. Yeah. Yep. And that is, yeah. And I, I was like, okay, you know, here I get, I get to have the life that I always wanted. And the problem was, is that, the the because of how the brain works, I started to create the same patterns that I swore I would never, ever repeat. And that shit started to come up inside me. So that that's scary when you're like, I'm going to be so different. I'm not going to be like my mom. I'm going to change my life. And I'm like, fuck, I'm just like my mom. <laughs> <laughs> right. Kind of just creeps up on you like that creeper weed. Huh? You think yeah. it's nothing. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, shit, 30 minutes later, you're like, whoa. Right. <laughs> and that, that that that's 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 it, it, here. Let's let, let's touch on the subject of support now. Right. Because. You, you would think, right, you're going to college, you, you, you got accepted to these programs and whatnot, your family would be happy and excited for you, right? Yeah. You would think that they would want to help you. And here you were scared because you needed a $100 deposit, right? And back in those days, $100 was a lot, right? Yeah. Right? Like now $100 is like $5 today. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you give a kid $20 bills, like, mom, what do you want me to do with this shit? Like, I'm going to be able to buy one meal, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's, it's $5 for a water bottle. Right. But it, to think about what had happened, right? Somehow divine spirit intervened, right? Like this lady or whoever was went through, right? The office collected a hundred dollars from these strangers, yep. right? And showed up and said, here you go. We're going to help you out. Like, what goes through your mind at that time, right? What 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 does that make you feel like? Like, does that make you feel even worse for your family because those mother lovers they don't want to fucking help, and then some random strangers help you? Like, did that make you hate your family more, or did you look at how amazingly blessed you were because it could have went both ways, right? Yeah. So, what, what did you feel in that moment? Well, you know, I come from poverty, so even with good intentions, my family couldn't afford that. And, um, and I knew that. So I would never ask my family members for money like that just wasn't even an option when they're talking about, you know, food and rent, and just survival. Um, And so for me, it was well, let me back up a little bit and share this I have in my entire childhood had moments where I, the way that I survived was my faith. And I would get clear messages in dreams about things that were going to happen. 
And I had a very strong intuitive sense as a child. And so I knew things before they happened. I felt like I knew more than my parents did. So I could see the mistakes that they were making in their life. And so I, it was weird because like literally got messages in the middle of the night and I would get up and actually do what I was told. And so I had that growing up. And so when that occurred, when they figured out how to make it happen, all I felt was that exact same gratitude. And I just had this belief that everything was going to be okay. And even in the, in the, in the darkness that I experienced, I had this belief that it was going to be okay because of that faith. <laughs> that is, I can just laugh and smile because that's like, that's one of those tough things, right? Yeah. Growing up, just having that type of faith, it, it doesn't, that's not a dime a dozen, right? That's nothing. That's right. like, that's like a needle in a haystack, right? If you would have told me just to have faith, everything's going to work out. Like, well, can't you see these fucking buildings falling right now? Like, what's right. wrong with you? What do you mean? Like that, that had to be built in me, right? Because it wasn't just, it wasn't simple and easy like that for me at one point, right? I, at the same time, I wasn't, I, I wasn't out on the streets, right? I didn't have to leave my home with just a shirt on my back, right? I was fortunate enough that I had a mom that always did her best to provide, right? Yet it showed up in different ways. So I seen how like, how, how you said one of the first books you got was like a book about um, alcoholic parents or whatnot. Right. But even though your parent was alcoholic, some of the same traumas followed you as if your parent was. Yeah. So somebody listening to this, just because you didn't go through any of these things, right? Just because you haven't, or you've had other um, issues that been presented to you in your lifetime and your journey, and you picked your parents for whatever reason you picked them, whether you believe that or not, right? Um, just because a book says a title on it, a lot of the times what I've learned is that through personal development, a lot of them say the same things just in different ways of explaining it, right? Like me and my brother, we come from the same household, right? But we could tell our stories two different ways, right? You could hear a success story from Isela and a success story from me, right? And we could have read the same books, but it spoke to us differently. So, right. so a lot of the times, don't let the title of a book fool you because there's help in every single one of these personal development um contents right videos or whatnot because that it, it is true like a lot of these things like alcoholic parent right you know well you've still found some value in that right yeah and this was during a time like now there's youtube right like back in the day there wasn't youtube i mean i because i'm i'm older than you and so what i used to do was <laughs> ride my bike in the middle of summer because you know i was doing my undergrad at asu i used to ride my bike in the middle of summer all the way from broadway and it was like four miles down to get to the public library and so i would check out as many books as i could carry on my backpack and i would you know ride all the way back we didn't have cable you know because i was you know didn't have money except to live in the place and um and so i would read i and i spent a lot lot of time trying to figure out how and I'm just going to say this fix myself because I was under the perception that I was broken. Now I have a very different perspective. Like in hindsight, I recognize I was never broken, that this is all sort of my soul's journey that, you know, and I am a believer that I chose my mom and that we were on contract together and that it was intended because I needed to learn how in this lifetime the the lovely gift of forgiveness and and that part was hard that part was really hard 
because I recognized and I released her from the responsibility of that contract. Now, you know, in the little side note, I really have not seen my mom outside of one or two times because of funerals and that sort of thing in 30 years. And so we don't have a relationship anymore, but I have to tell you that because we don't have a relationship, I was able to heal. And the second thing is, is I can still have love for her and the role she played in my life and yet still have very clear boundaries in my experience of life. So I'm not, I'm not opposed to having her in my life today, but with that comes my husband and my daughter and, and I have very clear boundaries of what is, what is acceptable to me and what is not acceptable. And she has to, she would have to live by those rules. And so, um, but I don't have any contention, anger, hurt. I don't have any of those anymore. I can really appreciate how, how the role she played in my life. Mm-hmm. That is, that, that's wow. That's like the opposite. Well, not the opposite, but for me, it was my, my, my dad, right? Like, why now would I contract to come with this motherfucker? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, I don't want to be like him. Then I was ended up like him, right? I, I, I attracted a lot of his great qualities that he has and a lot of his bad qualities, right? Yeah. You, you, it, was, I had, it was my job to sift through them, right? And I look at him now, like, we, we still don't talk that much, but I've forgiven him, right? We have a, uh, I would say we have a great um, relationship now when we talk, we just talk. We just, it's like, you did this, you did that, blah, 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 bullshit. Like I'm past all that, right? I forgave all that. Like, and um, I got past and I got through that. However, within doing that, it didn't mean that we became buddy, buddy, right? Um, he's still him. Mm-hmm. He still doesn't pick up the phone. He still doesn't reach out or whatnot, right? He still will just pop in and say, hey, I'm in Phoenix. I'm like, what? You've been here for two weeks, mother lover, and you're barely calling me now, right? <laughs> I'll just call and say, hey, I'm on my way. Where are you living at? And I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? But that's just him, and I've learned to accept him for that person, right? Now, does that mean I will put my trust in him and rely on him for stuff? Fuck no. <laughs> you know what I mean? But will I still be there for him? Will I still count on him, help him out and um, include him in things? Yes. You know what I mean? But that's who he is. And that's what that's the way it goes. Right. And a lot of us have a hard time to of letting go of that, that father figure construct. Right. Oh, that mother yeah. figure construct. Like you're, you're my dad. You're supposed to do this. And you're supposed to do that. I held on to that for so long. And it created a lot of hate in me. Right. It created that that smallness. Right. Now I think about like, oh, my gosh, holy shit. No wonder why I was treated like that in. And at work, right? Because I allowed that. They were that father figure. And I wanted to do whatever it took to feel like wanted and a good little boy. And you did the right job. But I was being abused at the same time. And I didn't have the balls to stand up. Or the emotional intelligence is what we call that now. Back then it was said, you're being a little sissy lala. You know what I mean? But now it's like, no, I'm emotionally intelligent. You're the (laughs) sissy lala for calling me a sissy lala. And you don't even know it. That's the worst part of it. Right. (laughs) At what point did you recognize or did you like at what point in your early adulthood or was it later when you started to recognize that you were um, doing some of the things that your dad did? Like what did you notice that within yourself? I didn't notice. Right. Until. I had enough time to actually sit down and think to myself, right? When I would start getting mad at him for certain things, right? And I would notice, I, I, I guess I noticed 
when I, this is going to sound kind of bad. I would notice when I had women issues, right? When I wow. bit off more than I could chew, right? Yeah. When I was juggling a few of them, right? I would think to myself like, fuck, you know, what would my dad do in this position, right? It's like, <laughs> oh shit, I'm just like him, <laughs> right? It's like, why did I do this to myself, right? right. We think it's all fun and games. So um, it, it was in that situation where I, I started to notice that I was taking on some of his qualities, right? When I would, um, when I would spend too much time in the streets, right? When money became more of a um, priority for me than hanging out with my friends and my family, right? So my dad always had this thing. He'd say, this mother lover was never on time. We'd always be in the car waiting for him, right? We'd be all ready to go, let's go in the car. The car's already starting. He was in the car first, right? And then this mother lover would get out and then be gone for like 20 minutes, right? And five or six cars would show up and leave and they all come in and then he finally gets in. It's like, the movie started two hours ago. You know what I mean? It's okay, we'll, we'll get another one, right? So I, I recognized when I started doing that to my friends too, right? Mm -hmm. Because we, we would have plans, but I would think to myself, wait a minute, I could make an extra $100 right now in this five minutes. That $100 worth more than staying committed to my friends, right? And people started noticing that like, man, Dark, all, you're all, all, all you are is worried about is making this money and doing whatever it takes for your business, right? My relationships dwindled down because of that, because I was more committed to making that money. I was more committed to running those streets than I was to actual commitments commitments right and that and, and then once again we can go even deeper and see why i like was juking those relationships and those emotions right because it was a lot easier to just avoid them by staying in the streets right right so that, those are two little examples of um when i started noticing that right but just because i noticed it didn't mean i stopped either it continued on for x amount of years right it didn't happen until what recent i've been on this planet for 38 years believe it or not Right. So, yes, I used to ride a bike. Right. I know what a payphone is. I had a beeper. <laughs> right. To those that don't know what that is. Right. I remember my dad used to get codes. Right. And he'd be like, yeah, what's the code at the end of that? And we'd have to tell him and he knew who it was and what it was. Right. I was like, well, we have numbers and crazy shit. Kids will never understand this. Right. Um, but yeah, those um, just because I was aware of it didn't mean I fixed it right away. Right. Because I was broken. My dad was broken. My mom was broken and that meant I was broken. Why? Because I come from the 509 Wapato, Washington, a little town, right? Where it was just nothing but Mexicans and Indians, Native Americans, right? And our family is a bunch of drunk tamale making mother lovers or Indian bread making mother lovers, right? Yeah. And whew, it's been and a- so what, what propelled you to do different? What propelled me really to do different was it wasn't feeling good, right? I I I I dealed with depression, right? Anxiety. But being a macho man, I was like, I'm not fucking depressed. What do you mean I'm depressed? Right? When the doctor said, Hey, you're depressed, it's like, no, I'm not. You're depressed. I ain't depressed. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> depressed. I got this fucking smile on my face. They're like, no, you're so used right. to smiling that you don't even know if it's real or not. And I was like, Holy shit, you might be true because have you ever seen the tears of a clown? Right. No, you don't, right? Some of the saddest people are the most smiling ones, right? You can right. think about um, Robin Williams, right? Put on a show for the longest time, and then poof, gone yeah. because he took his own life. It's scary, right? And so when I started having anxiety attacks, right? When I started not feeling good, like when I started doing bad things to people and I would have anxiety for that, I knew something was wrong, right? 
Like, even if I knew it was flawless and I wasn't going to get caught, I still felt bad inside. It's like, maybe I don't want to be doing this. Right. So I had to slowly, but surely like sit with that. And it took me a few years. Right. Because then I started getting overweight, fat, right. People get offended by that word, but I was fat. Right. I could look in the mirror and I didn't like who I was. I didn't, I couldn't recognize who I was anymore. Right. And then I had anxiety and was coming all the time. I was drinking too much. I was like, okay, I got to be masking something. Maybe I am depressed. Right. Maybe I am depressed, but I don't need no medication. Right. So then I picked up a book. Actually, I saw a documentary called The Secret, right? Oh, yeah. And yeah. that actually put ideas in my head, like, wait a minute, I could think about stuff and then I could manifest it, right? Because some of the basics of that are really simple and easy. And I've had some of those things happen growing up as a child, I didn't realize it, right? Like thinking about somebody, then they call you, right? Right. Or one, this, is, this is a famous one. And my brother's listening to this, he's going to laugh because he would always say, I was just going to say that, right? <laughs> like all the time. Like if I would say something, he was like, I was going to say that I, for a long time, like, shut the fuck up. No, you weren't. You're just saying that. But as I understand now I was tapping into something or he was tapping into something and I just got it out first. Right. And there's been a few other times where we were just on sync with stuff and it's like, holy shit, that was creepy. How did we even do that? Right. So with that being said, watching this, um, this documentary about manifesting stuff and using your intuition to bring things to you, I thought to myself, huh. What else can we do with this? Can I switch my models of reality, right? Which I got from um, a book called The Code of Extraordinary Mind from um, Vishen Lithiani, a mind valley, right? And then I started just reading random books that I got for free at first because I couldn't really afford to buy books. Man, can you imagine this? <laughs> I was working six, seven days a week, right? And I still didn't have enough money to put gas in at times. And I'm going to school at the same time and I'm trying to juggle all this shit making $4,000 a, a month. Right. Yeah. And I can't afford shit. Now I make about $1,200 a month. Right. Let's give or take. Right. But I live an abundant life. Mm -hmm. Like <laughs> it's crazy. It's like, when we, you know, but then when I picked up these books and I started actually putting these things together. Right. And, and it didn't just out there. I got help. Here's a, one of those big things that we don't realize is support, right? We didn't get a lot of support from our family and friends growing up, right? Your mom, right? She just, she didn't even fucking stop. She just said, get out, tuck and roll and hope you don't fucking get a concussion or something, right? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And, and yeah, and, and, that, and that's crazy, right? And then what happens is I was scared to ask for help because if you ask for help, that means you were weak and you couldn't do it, right? right? And then everybody would be right. But I, I had to learn to say, hey, maybe I don't know everything, right? Maybe I should ask somebody that's been through this and ask for advice. And that came from outside the family, right? My mom's always been there. We've always been able to help each other. Um, but that's that mindset. My mom's here to help me. She's here to tell me nice things all the time, no matter what, because she's always had my back, right? So in a kind of sense, I kind of like what she says, I, I take well, with a grain of salt because she's my mom. She might just be fucking lying to me because she doesn't want me to be depressed. You know what I mean? Right. She wants me to be best because I'm her mijo, right? But I got help and I found support groups. And even though it felt kind of like, oh my gosh, um, I got into network marketing mm -hmm. and then network marketing introduced me more to personal development, right? And then I started reading these books and I was like, holy shit. Once I started reading, because I'm, I could put two and two, get two and two together. I got common sense. I was like, wait a minute. These are like spiritual teachings. Like I hear my aunt talk about this, about the Bible. This is very similar. This is just put in terms that I could understand in today's time. Right. And then I just put it together. 
Um, but I believe that it was the support and asking for help that got me to this point of being here with you, mm-hmm. right? Asking that help and support from outside the family, right? Just because their blood doesn't make them family doesn't mean they're going to support you. Think about it, man. I, I, I make music, right? I rap and I write music. And a lot of my supporters, right, a lot of the people that do support you, even now, right now, are from outside of the family, right? Your family will tell you high five and pay you good, but they don't want to pay for the fucking CD, right? <laughs> they don't want to pay for your services that you got, right? <laughs> they ask, can I get a deal, right? And then this is not an all family, right? Because there's some that are very supportive, but on the broader spectrum, a lot of us can really relate to this right? The help and the people that are really interested came from outside of the family because they had no other reason not to show up. We had, uh, when, when I show up for my groups, I don't have any real estate with them, right? The only thing that I want to do is help them help themselves, right? And then it's vice versa. So when you get two random people that just show up and we start talking and try to figure things out together, there's no money involved. There's no this and that, right? We're sharing books and we're sharing ideas. We're on this podcast. Me and you are getting to know each other. Right. And it's for the sake of trying to help ourselves so that we could help the world. So then the world could help themselves. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of where we're at now. Yeah. I think the, for me, I had a more formalized, like I actually went to therapy for many years because I kind of needed someone to say, you know, this, but I was also very open. I think it's really important to bring that part up because sometimes what happens is it's hard to admit fault. It's hard to take responsibility, particularly when you grow up in a culture where blame is the go-to because, you know, part of the traumatic cycle is that there is blame, you know, that somebody is at fault. And um, until we get into the habit of pointing fingers, you know, that's the way I grew up or that's the way that I am, or that's, you know, I was treated that way. That's why I'm like this. And so the willingness to take responsibility for our own actions and behaviors and the openness to and the commitment to make changes in your life, that really is what, you know, and it can be little baby steps. Um, It is baby steps. And sometimes you feel like you go two steps forward and three steps back. But the truth of it is there is no three steps back. That's just part of the journey. That's part of the process. And so when we just allow for the experience to occur, it's amazing when you start to just get rid of all the bullshit, the bullshit beliefs, the bullshit behaviors, all the bullshit people that, you know, one of the meme that I think is amazing. It's like, before you go diagnosing yourself, make sure you're not surrounded by a bunch of assholes. And, you know, that's the truth. It's like, sometimes we have assholes around us. And so we, we think that there's something wrong with us and (laughs) there really isn't. It's just that we keep being told that there's something wrong with us. And so when you start getting rid of the bullshit, it's amazing how people will just start to show up in your life. Like people that, you know, that that maybe lean into an experience of feeling joy and happiness when you didn't grow up with feeling that on a norm. You know, it happened on celebrations or holidays and we get together and get drunk. But, you know, it's like where people really were thinking about living a better experience of life. Like all of a sudden... The, the, and I think it's the part of my belief system now is that the universe conspires for you. And so if, it, if you allow that to happen, but if you're going to hold on to your baggage, all your old shit, it's just going to validate for you what you expect to happen. So once you start to get rid of the bullshit, you will start to see things happen. 
you're surrounded by assholes, right? Because you're a cumulative, <laughs> right? Yeah. It makes me think of that that eagle story, right? The eagle that doesn't know how to doesn't know that they can fly, right? Oh. And then he's like walking around with a bunch of these chickens. Now, nothing against chickens, right? <laughs> but I'd rather be the eagle, right? Oh. You know, chicken tastes delicious. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> right? Have you ever tasted an eagle? No, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. But it just it 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 goes to show that. Sometimes, a lot of the times, the way you feel is not how you really feel about yourself. It's those assholes that are around you making you feel like the asshole, right? right. Yeah. And it's easy as just like step, pick up yourself and move a couple of seats down, right? Yeah. It's as simple as that. You brought up something, you talked about family as a construct. And, you know, one of the things that I used to get a lot is people would say, especially when I had my daughter, everyone would go, oh, mija, it's so sad that you don't have a relationship with your mom because then, you know, she misses out on having a nana and she miss you can, you miss out. I'm like, fuck that, I don't miss out on anything. <laughs> it's all that because the truth of it is my daughter, my, my dad remarried. She has a nana and a tata who love her immensely. She's not missing out on anything. And I don't miss that relationship because it was unhealthy. And that's what's hard is that we feel like we have, there's a responsibility for us, particularly in our culture, that we have to love and take care of our families in the way that means that we are like somehow responsible for them. And it's okay for us to establish boundaries and to put our own mental health and our own sense of well-being first. It's okay for us to do that. But because we are riddled with guilt, because we're raised on guilt, and if you grew up Catholic, you definitely were raised on guilt. And so you feel guilty that you haven't, you're not taking care of your mother or your father, or you, like, all this guilt makes it impossible for you to actually do what's in your best interest. And that's what keeps us sick. That's what keeps us in toxic situations. And that's what keeps us attracting the bullshit in our life. And that's why I keep saying you start getting rid of that, start changing your beliefs about your well-being and what you're deserving of. Like you deserve love because you exist, not because you took care of somebody or that you do. You are love. End of story. So step into that. Step into that. <laughs> we're the only species on this planet right only species on this planet were a mother a grandmother a son and a grandchild could all be living in the same house right and that child is like 35 years old sleeping on the parents couch right <laughs> like what what is that how is that even possible and that goes because Right. The parent before that says, I don't want my child to have to go through what I went through as a child. And I'm not kicking mine out. Right. But then that motherfucker stays there until he's 50. Right. <laughs> and I just think to myself, like, wait a minute. Hold on. You're 50 years old. Right. And you live with your mom and you don't pay rent. Right. And you have a drug habit. Right. And you drink alcohol. And wait, what? Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't know, no, I'm not trying to be judgmental or nothing, but look how crazy that sounds, right? That is, why do we think that's okay? Like, well, in the animal kingdom, as soon as you're able to fly, you're out the nest. 
you know, it's because of guilt. It's, I just had this conversation recently is that many of us who come from trauma or fucked up situations in our life, we don't want to repeat that. Right. So, and you mentioned this, even when you were talking about like, you didn't have your voice. And so when you started to actually say things, you actually swung to the other side, which was being aggressive. That's very common because you don't know how to be assertive. So you have to be aggressive and go, whoa, shit, that didn't work. And so you back up, back up, back up. You go, okay, now I got to find that happy medium. It's the same thing with parenting. What happens is, oh, I come up from a fucked up situation. So I'm going to do everything for my child so that they'll love me because I didn't get the love from my family. I'm going to take care of them so they'll never feel, you know, like they don't have because I didn't get that as a child. But then we create, we enable situations instead of actually teach and that happy balance, right? Like, I'm going to love you, but here are the expectations. And I, you know, again, I come from fucked up background. So I say to my daughter, you know, I parent her a very different way. And I said, the expectation is that you do go out and you live your life find your purpose, get a job, go to college. I don't care what you do. Just stay off the pole. <laughs> that's the only thing I'm that's asking. a little you judgmental the there. <laughs> that's just one little judgment. It's okay. Can you stay off the pole, please? If you're on the pole, we love you. <laughs> you do what, what you got to do What kind of pole survive. we talking about? <laughs> I think that might be an Olympic sport soon. So she's going to be like, I, ha ha, mom. How you know how about this? Now I got a gold medal in pole dancing. That's right. <laughs> but you know, there's an expectation that yes, I'm gonna provide all of the things that I didn't get as a child. But you know, there are very clear expectations that as an adult, these are the things that are you're gonna need to figure out how you're gonna do. Hmm. And most a lot of people <laughs> who are still hurt and have their own pain that's why they have a hard time establishing those boundaries and expectations. Yeah. yeah those boundaries and those expectations are really tough, right? It's right. because we, it, it, we, we didn't, we didn't know what they were. We, we tend to set and and knowing how and where to set those boundaries. Right. Cause like you said, I, I went from one extreme to the next extreme. Right. right? So that's like, like not giving enough love. And then in my next relationship, I smother them with love. Right. Like, smothering <laughs> them is just as bad as not giving enough. It's like, it's like, you got to learn to cook, right? Like um, first time I started cooking chicken, right? Like I cooked it really slow because I thought, okay, I don't want to burn this. So like that shit's too fucking slow. I need to speed this up. So I didn't turn it on high. Then the chicken burned on the outside and it didn't get cooked on the inside. Right. Like, whoa, you got to have find that happy medium. It's like a dance, right? It's yeah. basically what it is. It's like, just go slow and take one step at a time, right? Yeah. How do you eat a pig? One bite at a time. Because if you try to eat that whole thing, like when I was trying to wake up at five o'clock in the morning and I'm used to waking up at 10, trying to make that big ass jump just wasn't working. Right. I had to go eight, seven, six. And I'm not at five yet. I'm still at six, but I'm going to get there. Right. So that's, um, yeah, interesting conversations that we so have here. And I, I want to ask our listeners then what in your life is not serving you anymore? Like what, what really is getting in the way of you living a peaceful, joyful experience of life? What is that? And, and get real with yourself. Stop lying to yourself. And yeah. What is it? Who is it? Yeah. Yep. And what are you going to do to allow for yourself? Because I don't think you find happiness. We got to stop looking outside ourselves. 
The happiness that you seek and the peace that you seek is already within you. I mean, that's kind of what your song is about in our intro and our outro. It's about it all being within you. So it's letting go of the things that are getting in the way of your peace of mind. So what will you do? Mm-hmm. That's a great way to throw that out there for them. What are you going to do? What is it? Who are you? Do you know who you are? Right? Not who your parents think you are or they told you you should be. Not what your job expects of you. Not what your kids expect of you. When you're sitting there alone in the bathtub, right, in the middle of the night, right, thinking about all the crazy shit that's going on in your life, who the fuck are you, right? How are you going to move forward? What's in your way? Who's in your way? And what little step can you take today in order to move forward to where you would like to go? That's a good way to end today. (laughs) Thank you all for listening. We really appreciate that. Um, Next episode, when maybe a couple weeks from now, we don't really have a schedule, guys. We just kind of do it. And when spirit calls us to do it, we just (laughs) do it. So thank you very much for listening. You guys have a great evening, wonderful morning, whatever it is, wherever you're on this planet. Love you guys. Peace out, Charles. Remember what you really are